All right. What a great way to celebrate Christmas. The Advent Conspiracy, this is something that we've been doing at Crossview for a number of years. And so we want to welcome you to join us in that as well. Well, my name is Brian Asker, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossview Rosa Parks. And if you, knew, if you know me, you know probably that I work out regularly, but that wasn't always the case. In fact, I basically worked out when it was convenient, which wasn't very much, maybe one or three times a week at most. And uh, I wasn't out of shape, but I wasn't necessarily in shape, and I wasn't necessarily overweight, but, well, I did lose some weight, because all of that changed my workout routine in 2017. I was given the gift of a sabbatical, and I decided that one of my goals on sabbatical would be to work out every weekday. And I did, and I started to feel better, I started to feel good, and then somewhere about halfway through, my wife said, what if we tracked our calories and tracked our food intake? I was like, well, I guess I'm on sabbatical, I have some extra time, I, could, I guess I could do that. So we started tracking our, our food, and I learned some crazy things that I had no idea about. I learned about something called macros. Anybody know about macros? Yeah, a couple people in the room, yeah. I don't know how many of you online, but I had no idea what macros were. So apparently, food's broken down into three categories. You've got your proteins, you've got your carbs, and you've got your fat, right? Those are the three macros. And there's kind of a rough percentage you're supposed to hit with those macros. No idea. And I will tell you, I was way off, especially on the fat category, because I loved cheese. So I cut back my cheese, and actually, surprisingly, everybody says, you know, I want to cut carbs. I realized I was de super deficient on my carbs. And so I started to increase my carbs. I started eating more fruits and vegetables. That's where you get your carbs. And, you know, surprisingly, I started to feel better. I started to notice when I would eat too much fat and when I would eat too little carbs. And my body started to expect these changes as well, and I started to have more energy, I started to sleep better. Life was just better. Now, not everybody is given the gift of a sabbatical, right? But I think all of us have had that moment or that time, that season where we have that sense of like, oh man, something needs to change. Maybe it's a workout routine. Maybe you're like me in 2017, like, yeah, I need to work out more. Maybe it's something else. You, you've had that sense, that urge, I need to change something. And so you thought about, well, what are the things that I could change? What are the things that I could make different in my life that would change this thing that I am frustrated with? And then the question becomes, am I actually willing to do what it takes to make the change? Am I willing to track all of my food? Am I willing to work out regularly? Or whatever it is for you. Well, today we get to talk about radical dependence on Jesus. And it's not necessarily a fun lesson. We often get to talk about God's love, and we will talk about that today. But today's lesson is a lot more about the things that we do to be in relationship with God. And so we've been, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today, verses 11 through 23. If you have a Bible and you want to open up, you can. 
uh, and follow along. We also have it on the screen uh, as well for you. Uh, and if you're at home, of course, uh, we'll have it on the screen as well. But we've, if you've been around uh, any time over the last 11 weeks, we have been in a sermon series called Unexpected. And it is following the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' greatest teaching. And we called it Unexpected because Jesus teaches a lot of things that are kind of unexpected. They're surprises to us. We think, really? Wow, I can't believe he just said that. And they're challenging things. It starts off with a surprise about who is invited into the kingdom. See, for a lot of people who are listening to this sermon, they thought, okay, clearly the people who are going to be a part of God's kingdom are going to be those who are successful because God is blessing them. And Jesus says, actually, the meek and the humble are invited as well. Yes, the people who are successful, they're welcome to come into the kingdom. But let me tell you something, the meek and the humble, they're also invited. Surprise! And he goes through this big, long list, surprising them about who is in and who is, uh, who's invited. He also challenges their view of the law. So most people thought murder is bad, not acceptable, needs to be punished. And most of us say, yeah. But Jesus says, actually, anger is the same thing as murder. Whoa. Cut to the heart. All of us have been mad at times at people. And Jesus is saying, when you're angry, it's the same thing as murdering them. Wow, that's challenging. And he doesn't just condemn adultery. He condemns lust. These are things that are super challenging. And what he's doing in this teaching is he's demonstrating how to love other people. That's what's important to Jesus. How to love other people. Because when I'm mad at somebody... I often hurt that person. I'm frustrated. They've hurt me, and I get angry, and I try to hurt them back. And Jesus wants us to love one another. He wants us to love him. And so we're going to live differently if we want to love other people. And at the end of this first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that these things are really difficult. They are really hard. And it's impossible to do these things without God. We need Jesus. And what we find out in that first chapter is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus actually does all these things and he helps us to do these things as well. So then in chapter 6, Jesus starts to go into all of these ways that we can relate to God. He talks about how we can give to others and how that helps us to relate to God. He talks to us about how to pray, how we can talk with him in our daily life so that we can commune with God. And then he talks about several things that relate to how we trust God, how we put our trust in him, how we depend on Jesus. And now in chapter 7, he's closing out this most famous sermon that he has given, this most famous teaching. And we'll finish it up next week, but really this week and next week are very similar. And what Jesus is doing, he's making three invitations into a radical dependence on Jesus. And the question looming for us today as we enter into today's text is, am I willing, are we willing, are you willing to do what it takes to follow Jesus? So he starts off in verse 13 saying, enter through the narrow gate. And he's making another invitation. He's saying, join the family. Come on in, be a part of 
the kingdom that I'm inviting you to be a part of. And the invitation is for everyone, just like we talked about at the beginning of the sermon that Jesus did. But what does he mean by that narrow piece? What's that narrow gate that he's saying? Well, he goes on to say, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So he's using a rhetorical device here. He's creating this contrast between these two things, a narrow gate and a broad gate. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to help us see the importance of our choices. He's trying to help us see that life matters, our, our morality matters. The way that we live our lives actually matters, both now and in the future to come. You can choose anger, go ahead. But the reality is if you choose anger, it's going to lead to destruction, that broad road. We, I don't know anybody who doesn't get angry. We choose the broad road frequently. And it leads to destruction. It hurts us. It hurts the other people. And there are all sorts of paths in this world, directions that we can go. And it's broad. There's a broad way to live in this life, but only Jesus gives us true life. He's trying to create that rhetorical device for us to understand. And John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus tells us that Jesus is the gate. He is the one that we enter through to join the family. He is the one that we depend on in order to live out these, to make these good choices, to live into this moral life that he's inviting us into. Because on our own, I can't do it. We can't do it. We need Jesus to help us. I can't help but get angry from time to time. It happens. But Jesus can help me with my anger. He can help reduce that anger. And it's narrow because it requires discipline. It's going to require work. I think a good analogy here is marriage. Now, even if you're not married, you've watched other people who are married, and you know when somebody walks down the aisle, they are married. But the work of marriage is lived out in everyday life. It's the choices that I make each and every day as as I relate to my wife that make a difference in our love. So I think we can understand that the more we choose to live in the way that the other person wants, the more that I show my love, that I demonstrate my love for my wife. And similarly, the more that we live in right relationship in the ways that God wants us to live, the more we demonstrate our love for him. So hopefully, we have a sufficient sense of the importance of our moral life, the ways that we choose to live our lives is important. But what about grace? Isn't the life of Jesus about grace? What's all this talk about works? All this talk about our moral choices and doing the right thing? Well, I want you to hear some of us in this room, maybe all of us need to hear today. Maybe some of us online need to hear this. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus reminds us that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There's a simplicity to faith life with Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that Lord mean? It means leader. If you confess that Jesus is the leader of your life, then you're saved. There's a simplicity to that. And some people 
here in this room, some people online, you need to hear this. The simplicity of putting Jesus as your leader. You are saved by grace. But some of us need to hear the other side of the story. And in Philippians 2, verse 12, Paul reminds us that we need to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And today's message is more focused on that side of that equation. Yes, we are saved by grace, but we are also to work out our salvation with grace, with fear and trembling. So Jesus continues the story because what complicates all of this living out a moral life is that there is all sorts of deceit in this world. There are all sorts of lies in this world. So Jesus warns us. He says, watch out for the false prophets. In verse 15, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Warning! They come in sheep's clothing. They look great. They look awesome. Yes, this sounds, this sounds great. There are all sorts of people that will tell you how to live your life. They've got all sorts of advice for you. Watch the commercials. There are great ways for you to live your life. And many of them look really nice, really good. Like, this sounds good. But Jesus warns us that many of them will eat you up. They're ferocious wolves. And as your pastor, as a pastor, I risk being one of those people telling you how to live your life. And boy, I take that seriously. I do not want to eat you up. (laughs) Please do not let me do that. I want to point you to Jesus. He is the one who loves us better than anybody else can. So Jesus gives us some pointers on how to tell a good teacher from a bad teacher. In verse 16, he says, By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So, pretty simple. We've got this fruit metaphor that Jesus uses. And the good thing is that Jesus gives us a lot of help with this fruit detection thing. If you look at Scripture, if we could put it up on the screen, there are a bunch of passages. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. There are a bunch of passages that tell us about how to detect good fruit from bad fruit. I would encourage you to take a picture of this or write these down and go ahead and look at them later because I don't have the time today to go through all of them. So this is a good list for you to look at. And if you don't have it, you can email me or you know, text me or whatever later. Uh, we can get you the list. But for our purpose today, fruit is simply this. It's doing God's will. It's doing what God wants you to do. Putting things into practice. The things that we've been talking about in the sermon here, we want to live into those things. That is good fruit. When you see somebody doing that, it's good fruit. If you hear someone speaking for God and they aren't doing those things, warning, watch out, might not be somebody that you want to listen to. 
And so there are lots of people who want to deceive you. And we need to be careful that we are not deceiving other people. But then Jesus goes on to talk to those of us, all of us really, who can be deceived. He says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doer. So we have a warning here about who will be in the kingdom and who will not be. And I think it's pretty clear. It's those who choose to do the will of God. And so he gives us an example of some people who have these amazing displays of charismatic power. They are prophesying in Jesus' name. They are driving out demons in Jesus' name. But here's the catch. We learn in verse 21, they are not doing the will of God. In fact, Jesus says, I never even knew you. So there's this sense that we get that they are not in relationship with God. They, they don't have a conversation with God. They're doing these amazing, miraculous things, but there's no relationship. And so Jesus' judgment is clear. Away from me, depart from me. And Jesus calls them literally evildoers. And this should be a warning for us. Are you, are we, am I in relationship with God? Do we have conversation with him on a regular basis? Do you talk to him? Do you do the things that God wants you to do? Do you live into those invitations that he has for us to live a moral life? And really, when you boil down the Sermon on the Mount, it can be summarized really simply. Love others. Love God and love others. Or as, he, as Jesus put it in our last, last week, do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's simple. So as we think about this text, this is heavy on the morality side, the side of doing things right. We need to remember the grace, the simplicity of confessing that Jesus is Lord. And for some of us online or in the room, the invitation is to confess that Jesus is Lord, to say, Jesus, I want you to be my leader. I want to follow you. I've been doing my own thing. I've been trying my own thing. And it's not working. And I need your help. It's a little bit like 2017 for me. I wasn't working out. And I had to say, it's time to start working out. Something needs to change. So I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus today. To say yes to him. To say yes to whatever he wants for your life. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the leader of your life. The second invitation is simple. To be a truth detector. Look for good fruit. Look for the ways, look for the people that are living these things, that are doing unto others as you would have them do to you. 
Look at the people who are influencing your life. Who do you let into your life? Who do you listen to? And are they living a life that fits in with what Jesus is talking about here? Are they doing to others as you would have them do to you? Look at their fruit. And then read the passages about good and bad fruit so that you will also know how to detect what is good and what is bad. The more you know your Bible, the more you read your Bible and study it, the more you'll have a chance to detect what is truth and what is a lie. Well, in Matthew chapter 19, later in the book, we have the story of a young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how do I get into heaven? Well, Jesus says, it's simple. Keep the commands, just like we've talked about today. And he says, yes, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. And then Jesus says, all right, go, sell everything you have, and then come follow me. And what Jesus is pointing out here is not that he needs to sell everything. That's not his main point. His main point is that his things had become his God. His things had become the thing that he trusted in instead of Jesus. And all of us have things that we trust in instead of Jesus. We put other things ahead of him in our life. And the invitation in this passage and in the rich young ruler is to lay those down, put those aside, and to put our trust in Jesus. And then, yes, live into the moral life. Be a truth detector. And my prayer is that none of us will be like the rich young ruler who walked away. We will be like the disciples who chose to follow Jesus. Not perfectly, because we won't be perfect, but we will work towards following Jesus. We will ask Jesus to be our leader, to be our guide, to trust him, and to do what he invites us to do, to love others as we love ourselves. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today, a reminder that how we live our lives matters. How we live our lives impacts our relationship with other people, and we want to be loved, and we want to love other people well. We want to follow you. We believe that you are indeed the right leader, the right teacher to follow. And we ask that you would help us to follow you. Amen.